Amen. Well, are your hearts quieted that we can hear from heaven today? Um, David Stone, I have a, a picture here. David Stone is or was the previous pastor of Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, he was a teaching pastor, made the senior pastor, and he um, allowed Kyle Eidelman, if you know who that is, he is now the senior pastor there in Kentucky. But I came across this book several years ago that David wrote, Raising Your Kids to Love the Lord. Uh, phenomenal book. I recommend the book. You can get the audio or the Kindle $5.99 and the paperback for $10.59 if you have Amazon Prime. Free shipping, by the way. Um, uh, one of the stories, this book, I'm reading it, you know, I want to raise my kids to love the Lord. You do your best to lead your kids to Christ and to follow Jesus. And, and there's a story that sticks out about a cheerleader in this book. And, and I want to share that with you today. Um, and this young high school student in Georgia tried out to be a cheerleader, and she made the squad. But several weeks into the season, the cheerleading sponsor called a practice on Wednesday night. Uh, on this Wednesday evening, when this young person, this young cheerleader, had already made a commitment to be at a Bible study on Wednesday. So she told her sponsor, and she missed the practice. Um, this angered the sponsor so much that she intentionally scheduled all the cheerleading practice now to be on Wednesday, uh, where it would regularly be that time, and the young person told the sponsor and let them know, and, but the sponsor said, if you miss one more practice, you're off the team. Wednesday night came, and the team didn't came to the pressure, and she attended her Bible study. The next morning, the sponsor found her in her homeroom class, and she said, where were you last night? I thought you knew where I would be, the cheerleader politely said. I went to church. Well, I guess you know what this means. You're off the squad. I realized that, the student responded. I knew, I knew it when I chose to keep that commitment to my Bible study. But there's something that you need to know about me. I'm a Christian who just happens to be a cheerleader. I'm not a cheerleader who just happens to be a Christian. Now, church, I share that with you today because our goal as Christ followers uh, is to live as people who put Christ first. Um, our life in Christ, our faith in God should be our priority. In fact, we should be the same person in private that we are in public. Uh, our kids should see that it's not just church on Sunday, that I'm a Christian on Sunday or certain times of the year or certain times of the week, but that we are Christians throughout the week, uh, that we are called to be committed Christ followers in, and I want you to know, a pagan culture, regardless of the consequences. Now, years ago, we began to use this phrase, and we didn't like it, but we need to hear it, and I need it to get into your heart today, that America is post-Christian. At one time it was established, you would say that there's a lot of people who are Christians. They had an awareness of God. They were uh, uh, from um, Judeo-Christian values. A lot of our laws, our systems, uh, monuments that gave honor to God and the truth of God, verses from the Bible. These things had an influence in the government that we have, our laws and everything. But many have departed from that. Uh, there's a huge, I think 170 million millennials, I think if it's the number I have right, who many of which have left church or have nothing or want nothing to do with God, who have a great influence on our culture. So we say we are post-Christian. I would go as far as to say that America is very pagan now. 
Now, we don't want to hear that, but I want that to set in your heart and your mind so we can get into some information we need to talk about today. Now, the kind of character that we need as we serve God, um, this, this faithfulness, this commitment, this courage is something that we desperately need right now. Now, before you could go to a Sunday school class, go to church, uh, live, you know, kind of morally throughout the week, and things were normal. Uh, and now you're going to get some pressure. You're going to get people testing you in your belief system. Why this? Why that? Why can't you be at this? You will have family members. You'll have friends. You'll have work who want you to skip your times with God, to give up your faith and do what they want you to do. Now, I want to talk with you this morning about our role as Christians in a pagan culture. This shift has radically happened. It happened really fast. And here we are. And I want to talk to you this morning about a man who this happened to, who was taken from Jerusalem and put in another country, another culture, a pagan culture, who decided to, to fully commit to Christ no matter what. And we're going to learn from his story today. His name is Daniel. We call him the prophet Daniel. We're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 1 and chapter 6. I recommend reading the entire book. And as we're getting into this text, this prophetical book of Daniel, very practical, uh, is a book that has a lot of prayer in it. It's very practical for, practical for us and prophetical. But as you're turning here, as you're looking with me at Daniel chapter 1, I want you to, if you have your Bibles with you, if you're a Bible student, if you have your iPhone, we're going to look at Romans chapter 15 just for a moment here as we get into the text. Paul says something profound as he's finishing up his letter to the Romans in chapter 15 of Romans in verse 4. And he says this, For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction. He's talking about, for one, he says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is useful. We talk about that once a month, that all of it, Old Testament, New Testament, is God-breathed. And he says the things that were written in former days, he is speaking about the Old Testament. Things that were written in former days were written for our instruction. And through endurance and through the encouragement of the what? The Scriptures, we might have hope. Now, I share that with you today before we get into the book of Daniel, because we also have, not only is there a radical shift in our culture, there's been a radical shift within churches and Christianity. That more false teachers have an influence, they're in pulpits, they're in churches. And there's been a movement that we are to disregard the Old Testament. Uh, you've heard people say that I am a red-letter Christian. Uh, and so, by the way, they added the red letters. The original writers didn't write it. Oh, did Jesus say this? I'll write this in red, and we'll do everything. some in purple and some in pink and some in highlighter. They didn't do that. <laughs> All of it was in the same ink. And I want you to know, when you just say, I'm a red-letter Christian, you're saying, I do not understand who Jesus is. Because Jesus existed long before the New Testament, which means that God was speaking in the Old Testament. Jesus is the same God who was in the Trinity in the Old Testament. He's not just some God that happened to appear in the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament and Jesus are the same God. We believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus existed in times past when these things were being written. Now here it is, Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Now we're going to explain a little bit of the context here. But I love that. Just that simple phrase. That this young man, this young believer, 
was willing to say no to some things. And here it is, church. Christians need to say yes to God, but we need to also say no to the things of the world. There's things that people will use to pull you away from God. We need to learn to say no, that we determine things in our heart. And then we, we slip over to Daniel chapter 6. And Mary read the bulk of the scripture here, but we're going to look at verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, this is a law that does not benefit believers in Yahweh. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open to Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. If you were following us in the scripture, they had written a law because they want to get Daniel moved out of the way. They want him killed. They wrote a law that if you prayed to any other God, you would be thrown to the lions. What does Daniel do? He goes home anyway, and he still prays. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, we love you. Lord, we bless your holy name. And Lord, we thank you that you are the God who saves. You are the God who is separate from all the false gods, the ones who do not speak. They cannot see. They cannot help us. These vain imaginations and philosophies all around the world that this culture wants us to coexist with, they bring no life. It is you, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, who offers life to everyone. You are the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through you. And we pray today, Lord, that we get that, that we understand the good news, that we believe in you, and as we believe in you, and we were born again, born of heaven. Lord, that we set our affections on you. Um, that we set our affections on the heavenly things. And Lord, that as we are being made into your image, that we are being made more like you. That we are saying no to the world system. That we're saying no to the evils that are trying to pull people away from you. The, the, the ways of death and darkness. And Lord, you have offered us the way of life and light. And I pray we cling to those things, uh, that we pursue you, that we recognize this culture is not the same, and it desperately needs your good news, that we live this lifestyle where people see you living in us, and that we share the good news. Lord, there are so many people who have shattered lives, broken families, all these things. Lord, give us the opportunities, the open doors to share the hope of the world that is in Christ. Lord, we have the good news, and it's not to be hidden it is to be out and spoken and shared with this community. And Lord, that you continue to help us fulfill the vision to reach Casper for you and for your honor and for your glory. Bless your words as they go forward. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You know, church, I, I pray that and I say, Lord, bless your word as they go forward. But it is the word of God. It's already pre-blessed, if you will. And, and the book of Isaiah tells us something interesting. That God's word goes forward and it does not return void. So you could have somebody, it's not even, I mean, somebody says, I believe in Jesus, I want to share my testimony. Those words go forward with power. Uh, they're not coming back. Uh, they're going to get into somebody's heart and they have to make a decision of what they're going to do. Either they're going to receive Christ or they're going to reject God. And so the word is going forward today. And I pray that we receive it in our heart and in our life and that we are changed by it. So here's some history as we're getting into the text here. In 605 B.C., Jerusalem was besieged. It was ransacked by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, uh, Nebuchadnezzar being the king of Babylon. And this began what we would know as the 70 years of captivity. The people would go into what we know as exile. 
These are believers in God who did life radically different than the rest of the world. They're taken, many are killed, many are taken captive to Babylon. They took many young people. And the objective is to assimilate them into the ways of the Babylonian life, to brainwash them. Uh, this, this was what they would do, into, and, and they make Daniel and some of his friends, they brought them into leadership in Babylon. They want them to become Babylonians. This means, listen, no parents, no parental influence. And some of the parents may have been slain. They're now in a foreign land, a foreign government, a foreign religion, and a formidable strategic indoctrination system. They have taken these people and they've put them into an education system. And the idea is to remove the way of the Jew and the Hebrew, the ones who worship Yahweh, and make them worshipers of the God of the Babylonians. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, basically a system of faith deconstruction. And this was normal. If you took a, a kingdom, if you won, you made them to be part of your people. If they didn't want to be, they were put to death. In fact, there was three phases when they took down Jerusalem. The, the initial phase, they took a lot of young people. There was another time where they destroyed the wall and they would utterly destroy the temple. This indoctrination system was to make young people now Babylonians. And here's the thing. One pastor said this. I don't have it up here. If you send your kids off to be educated by Caesar... Don't be surprised if they come home Romans. It's something for us to think about as we educate our young people and disciple them. We can't always expect them to come home and be good little Christians when we're putting them in front of pagan instructions. Now here it is. The good thing is that it didn't work on everyone. It happens to a lot of people, but it didn't happen to everyone. And it doesn't have to work on you. Uh, the culture wants to pull you away from Jesus Christ, wants to take young people and make them disciples of the world. Our job as the church is to make disciples followers of Jesus. Now, why did these young people not turn to the pagan gods? I want to share with you why they didn't. The first thing I want you to see is that they had commitment at a young age. I love this. Uh, these young people were taught to follow uh, God at a young age. Again, 1-8, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. Now, the term here, resolved, is translated determined in his heart in some translations. It basically means that he made a conscious decision that no matter what happens, I'm not giving in to the pressure. I'm going to do everything I can to continue to be a follower, a faithful, committed follower of Yahweh, no matter what they say. And they're forced into a situation where they have to change their diet. Now, this is what they do. They've changed their diet, their way of doing life. And their diet was not to accept these uh, things that were sacrificed to pagan gods. They sacrificed to pagan gods. They brought the food and they would eat it. And they would be internalizing these, uh, these, the, the sustenance of false idols, if you will. They were used to eating a certain way. Uh, and here it is. I want you to know that Daniel and his friends that are taken captive, that it talks about in the book of Daniel, they're around 15 to 17 years old. Um, Babylon was beautiful. It had a lot to offer. Could you imagine we have a career for you? You're a teenager. We're going to put you in leadership. All you have to do is do life the way we do it. Good benefits package, retirement plan, all these, except when Nebuchadnezzar would get mad, then that would end the retirement plan. There would be execution plan. Good benefits as well. 
But while there, uh, they have to decide. So this, they're, they're systematically, they're trying to assimilate these Hebrews into a Babylonian way of life. And the diet is part of this. So they wanted to change. Uh, ultimately, it would be your spiritual diet. That is what it's for us to see today. What are you internalizing? What are you taking in as a Christ follower today in your life? Is it affecting the way you follow Jesus? But Daniel and his friends had a plan. And as I look back at this, I think there were other young people who decided not to do that. They decided not to buck the system. They said, well, we're stuck here. What else can we do? Let's just do what they tell us to do. Let's not cause any problems because we could lose our life. But Daniel and his friends decided that they were not going to give in. These teens had made up their mind. And I think just, this is a message for young people and older people. That we need to determine in our heart, that we need to make up our minds, that we are committed to Christ regardless of what happens in the world. E. Stanley Jones, who was a Methodist minister, said this, If you don't make up your mind, your unmade mind will unmake you. You have to determine now. Because a lot of times we kind of think, well, we'll see what happens. Well, it happens and we are to plan before we get there to know. It's kind of like baseball. What, what did you learn in baseball? When the ball comes to you, you need to know where the ball goes next. It's going to come to you. Now, I hated that. When I was in baseball, I was like, Lord, don't let the ball come to me. <laughs> Pop. Oh. God. All right, where do I throw it? Throw it to the third. Throw the, oh, get it away. So <laughs> we don't want the ball to come into our court. We don't want the, the ball to come to us. Um, but it's going to. It has. And we have to determine what is next. If this happens to me, what am I going to decide? Again, if you don't make up your mind, your unmade mind will make, unmake you. Here's something to think about as well. I, I like, you know, why were these young people so faithful? And I think their parents invested a lot of time in their lives. And it was not just, hey, we go to temple once a week or whenever the celebration happens. It was a lifestyle. It was how they did life. They got up in the morning. They would recite the Hebrew teachings. Uh, they were taught that. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, they were taught to talk about it when you go to bed at night. Do it when you get up in the morning. Pray together. Do life together. This was their entire lifestyle. Parents told them that. I also believe that maybe some grandparents were involved. And maybe the grandparents. And my grandparents had a, a huge influence on our life. I mean, we thought things were normal when we went to my grandma and grandpa's house. They're like, nuh-uh, that's evil. I'm like, come on, grandma, we just want to watch the movie. Nope, evil. <laughs> You're not watching this. Uh, they, didn't get, they didn't cave either. Um, but I think that grandparents may have had a great influence on their life and said, one day you're going to be tested in your faith. One day something may happen and you need to be prepared that you are not going to give in, that you need to remain committed to this God who saves because the false gods do not save. Parents, teach your children and grandchildren to follow Jesus Christ now before the world teaches them not to. Teach them what it looks like as well. Not just, hey, we go do this. This is who we are. We are disciples. We follow Jesus. And as you make mistakes along the way, we say, We're, I made a mistake. I'm asking for forgiveness. I'm asking for your forgiveness. Where they see, when they see the imperfections, it's not poison in their heart. That you didn't set the standard right up here and they're seeing some other lifestyle. Uh, that they see a consistency, again, in public and in private. Teach them to be com committed Christ followers. And we are a called-out people. We live in the world. Actually, we're from the world. God is saving us from the world. We're not of the world system. 
though we are in the world. We are to be a holy people that are separate from the world. It doesn't mean we hide in a room. It just means we do life different. We believe in the God who saves and there's an eternity that we are going to go into. We're to be fully committed to Jesus Christ. We're to be loyal to the kingdom and his commandments. That means in small things and big things. That means in, in work, people watch you, especially if you say you're a Christian and you invite them to a Christian thing, they're going to watch your lifestyle. Do you show up to work on time? Do you have a good attitude? Do you do your job right? Daniel did his job right. He was trusted with a lot of responsibility. And people notice that. Now, if you do it wrong, they're going to call you a hypocrite. Now, if you do it right, they might still resent you, but your boss will like it and will promote you. We are to be a people of faith. However, our commitment and our faithfulness has shifted in the modern culture. We like lowering the standard. The standard used to be really high for how we're to live as Christians. Now it's just kind of like, I believe in Jesus and I kind of do whatever I want and still, you know, I worship whenever I feel like it. We might talk about some verses and things like that. This calling to Jesus is a high calling. So my question to you would be is, how faithful should you be as Christian? It used to be, how far can I go and not sin? How, far can I, how close can I get to sin and not lose my salvation was, was a thing that young people thought. But the question is, how, how faithful are we called to be? 50% of the time, 80% of the time. If you had a loan with the bank and only paid half the time, would that be good? That wouldn't be good, would it? If you told your, your spouse when you got married on the day you got married, hey, I am going to be faithful 85% of the time. <laughs> How would that go? So we see that, but when, when it comes to Christ, we kind of lower the standard for ourselves and we're like, well, this is the God who loves and forgives, and he does. But he also calls us to be committed followers of him. We are to be, we're not called to be part-time Christians. We're called to be full-time all week long as we pursue Jesus in everything that we do. Now, Daniel's very name, this is what's interesting. The name Daniel means God is my judge. That's a radical name to have. Everywhere, everywhere you went, you said, hey, God is my judge. Come here. You know, hey, God is my judge. It is an awesome reminder that I am responsible and accountable to a, a living God, an eternal God. So they actually tried to change his name to the Belshazzar, which gave honor to the, the Babylonian gods. But he still kept this name that God is my judge. I am responsible to him. There's an expectation. And for us as Christians, we have taken the name of Christ We've lowered that and just made it very pagan today. Christ, Christian, means little Christs. It means we are followers of Jesus. So anywhere we go, we say we are Christians. That means there's an expectation that I follow Jesus, that I should be demonstrating the life of Jesus, that I should be following the commands of Jesus, that I should be teaching people about Jesus. Regardless of that, our culture, you've heard me say this tons of times, I can take the title Christian and live exactly like the culture. But the calling for us is how do I live as a committed Christ follower in a pagan culture? And we can do it. We can say yes to his truth and yes to his ways. And here's the deal. Things are intensifying. Things are, I just saw a, a politician who said that we need to stop um, pro-life clinics. 
Because there's more pro-life clinics in, I think it was Massachusetts, than abortion clinics. When I heard her say that, I was like, amen, sister. <laughs> but then she was like, we have to stop those. We're seeing a term, a phrases used to, to act out in violence against those who would save life, who would do good. There is a radical shift that has happened in our culture. And we often worry about what others think of us. And we've forgotten that we are responsible to God and we should be concerned. What does God think about my decision and my actions in these scenarios? That is a game changer. That I'm responsible to God. That I've taken his name and his life. I am to live that way. Um, Philip Brooks, Phillips Brooks, who was Episcopalian minister, said this. Does not take great people to do great things. It only takes committed people. All we, we are committing our lives to Jesus. God is working on our life. Great things are happening when we commit to these simple things that God has called us to. The second thing I want you to see, one, is that we're commit to God and we are to be a people of courage. Again, chapter 6, verse 10. I won't read through all this again. Daniel knew that the law was signed not to pray. And I want you to know that here it is. We are called to be courageous in whatever season we go through, regardless of how old we are. Uh, young people need to know when you go to elementary school, you're going to be challenged, you're going to be tempted. Middle school, lots of pressure. High school, life. When you get out of high school, there is still peer pressure. It does not go away. There's the pressure of a boss to maybe fudge some of the documents. Um, to do, maybe come in and work off the clock. There's all kinds of things along the way that you're going to be tested in. And you have to decide, regardless of how old you are, if you're going to be fully committed to Jesus Christ. As Daniel and his friends, they grow older, the challenges begin to change. The expectations change. And that means that the measure of courage needed would have to change. I mean, they were young, and they're bucking the system in, in chapter 1. Actually, they made a request that they could do things a different way. They had offered this food of the Babylonians, and they said, hey, actually, we have a better diet, you know, those low-calorie kind of a thing. Uh, people still do the Daniel diet today. And they actually put their leader to a test. They said, we are going to do our diet for a few weeks, and then you can test us whichever one you think does better. And theirs did better. And so he said, all right, it works. Go with it. They, they overcame that test. And there's more tests along the way. Here's a question for you. What do you do when the very laws around you change and make how you live as a believer illegal? Our land, again, is very pagan. The atmosphere has shifted. In Daniel chapter 3, a new law was written that everyone, and when the music chimes, they have to bow to an idol. Daniel's friends say, no, we're not going to do that, even if it means being thrown to a fiery furnace. That means they are willing to give up their life. In Daniel chapter 6, they made a law that if you pray to anyone other than Darius, you are thrown to the lion's den. And here's the thing, church. Daniel is 70 at this time. Now, we've seen pictures. They always draw Daniel really young when he's in the lion's den. He is an older man now. He is Daniel the aged. He is not a teenager anymore. And he is, what he has done is that he has created a lifestyle of commitment. It is a continuous thing to live faithful. So when the first challenge comes, you overcome that. There's going to be a second and third challenge. But the more you are committed to Christ and the more courageous you live as a Christian, the easier it is to overcome these things. 
I mean, every time if you made a mistake in this situation, it meant your life. And they said no, no matter what. The law said he couldn't pray. And he did anyway, even if it meant being thrown to the lions. Uh, I love that. I, I like that is one of my favorite verses. I preached from Daniel, the second sermon I ever preached. I think it was July 2003. And I'm still cap- I, I'm captivated by this verse. It grabs my attention every single time. When he knew that the law was signed, he went home, he opened up the window. This is, wouldn't you be hiding? He opens up the window as he always did and got down on his knees and he prayed no matter what. This, regardless, he knew that it meant his life. We're afraid just to even buck the system a little bit now. We're, we've become very obedient, paganized Christians. And we have to decide, I'm going to be faithful to Jesus regardless of what's happening around me. And that we have to learn to be courageous, even behind doors, in your private life, when you're doing your taxes, when you're making decisions, when you're on social media, that you're not so easily taken into the temptations of the world and how it's trying to suck us in, that we say, no, it is okay as Christians to say, no, I'm not doing that. They, uh, this culture has so twisted the term love. Love is lust now. And if you don't give people their way, that you're unloving. We are called to be a loving people, but we love people so much we are going to tell them the truth and that that way does not work. The way of the world, the way of sin, the way of lies, the way of death is not a good way. And we are the people, we're the only ones who are going to stand in the gap. We're only, we are the only ones right now that are going to be willing to run into the fire to save people. We have to be willing to preach this gospel, to teach this gospel, to continue to share the truth that people might be saved. Now I want you to know what Daniel did. He didn't go home and complain. No complaint. Like I'm reading through this book, man. I would be like, what in the world is going on? Uh, no Facebook post. That is the new thing. I have, I have to share all my stuff on social media so I can get some likes. Oh, girlfriend, I know how it is. You know, all this kind of stuff. He didn't go to social media and complain. He didn't go face. Look, here's the new. Face some life. Oh, life is so miserable. They made a law. Oh, put it out there. Boop, boop, boop. Oh, make me feel good. None of that kind of stuff. He did not say, I am so done with adulting today. Um, he knew what it meant. To be a follower of Jesus. No protest. I am for marches and protests if they're needed. But the simple thing he did, church, is what we need to do as Christians. He went home and prayed. We need to be a people who pray as well. Prayed even if it meant death. Daniel was not only committed, he was courageous. Even if it meant death. C.S. Lewis said this, I love this. Courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point, which means at the point of the highest reality. Everything that you are deciding to do as a Christian is a point of a courageous decision. Am I going to do the right thing or the wrong thing? Now, if you choose to do the wrong thing, it's going to take you down a path where you have to choose the wrong thing again and again. If you choose the right thing, it makes it easier for you to say, I'm doing it the right way. I want to do it the right way again, even if the world system is against me. The world is, did you know the Bible? We've always talked about the Antichrist coming into the world, the man of sin. 
The Apostle John talks about the spirit of Antichrist. 2,000 years ago, was already in the world. It is moving against Christ. It's moving against the teachings. It's, it's his teachings. It's moving against the church. This is the world system. In closing, I'm going to ask Pastor Jay to come forward. We're going to open for a time of prayer. And as we do, I just want to share a, a closing story. I love church history, learning more and more. This is this awesome guy named Athanasius. Cool picture they took back then. They had this art feature on the app on his phone. Um, he was an early bishop of Alexandria in the 4th century. He stoutly opposed the teachings of Arius. Now these teachings, Arius declared that Christ was not the eternal Son of God, but a subordinate being. It's basically for someone to say, you know, I believe in Jesus, he was just a good moral teacher. That is not a Christian teaching. He was hounded through five exiles. He was finally summoned before the emperor Theodosius, who demanded he cease his opposition to Arius. So this is a man that says, I'm standing in the truth. Jesus is the Son of God. He is God. He declared these things. There's another guy, a false teacher, coming in saying, no, he's just a good moral teacher. He's human. We kind of look up to him. He opposes Arius, um, Arianism. And the emperor removed him, reproved him, and asked, do you not realize that all the world is against you? Now, I've come to places in my life where I've heard that, where they're trying to tell you, you're, you're going to be on the wrong side of history with these teachings. No one else wants to teach it that way. All the world is against you. Athanasius quickly answered, Then I am against the world, which gave rise to an expression, Athanasius contra mundum, which means Athanasius against the world. Now, here it is, church. The gospel is this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But there is a world system that moves against teachings. And that movement is against Christians. And I am against the wickedness of the world. Now, you may be called unloving and intolerant. And I'm fine with being called intolerant if that means being intolerant of the evil ways of this world. That we are to declare the goodness of God and his ways. So, church, as we close today... We're just going to open the altars for a time of prayer. Maybe a time just to say, you know, Lord, I want to be committed to you no matter what. And for some people, regardless of the age, teenagers, 20s, 30s, 70s, 80s, 90s, to live courageous for Jesus. So as we close, there is a call.